Father, that we would just become more and more aware of your presence. We love you. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Hey, everybody, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Coastal Community Church. Uh, I'm Pastor Chris. Great to have you uh, with us today. I hope you're enjoying uh, your summer so far, having a great summer. I um, want to make one little uh, add-on announcement. Uh, don't forget that this week uh, is the last week uh, to bring, to purchase and bring uh, school supplies. If you haven't noticed yet, inside the Welcome Center, uh, we have a bus up against the wall, and uh, it, that bus basically is a container uh, for school supplies, backpacks. Uh, we're trying to uh, help uh, kids who are, who are in foster care, uh, kids who are in DSS, uh, kids maybe here in our community that we're aware of, uh, help them start the new school year off right. And so uh, this is, we've been collecting those supplies and backpacks for the month of July. And so this coming uh, Sunday is the last week to do so. So uh, if you're out and about, and the reality is school supplies are already on sale. I know, school is fast, quickly approaching. Um, today we begin a brand new series entitled Summer Reading. Anybody remember, you know, the days back at school when, um, you know, the, your English teacher, literature teacher for the new year, uh, you know, they would give you the list of books that you had to read over the summer. How many of you are natural readers and you just love to read, give you a book, recommend a book, and you will dig in and dive in and, and you miss those days of summer reading? Um, how many of you have pledged not to read a book since you graduated from school and have done pretty good at keeping that pledge so far? Um, well, let me explain the idea. And the reality is that there's everybody somewhere in between, you know. Some of you, um, you know, love to read. You just have to be encouraged to, you know, give you a book title and you'll dig right in. Others just dread it. And then there's everything in between. Um, let, me, let me explain the idea for this series. In some ways, um, it is similar kind of like the series that we just wrapped up at the movies, where, you know, we used a movie as kind of a hook or uh, a springboard, if you will, to then, you know, dive into God's Word and talk about a particular story or a particular subject matter. Well, for this series, instead of the movies, we're actually using uh, books, five different books, um, to talk about spiritual truth. And the difference is that you know, we say each one of these books is worth reading, and we would encourage you to read it over the summer. And we provided um, a limited number of those books out in the Welcome Center. There's a table, and uh, they're fairly cheap. Um, and we're encouraging you to read them. And then every Sunday, beginning today, I'm going to use one of those books as just kind of a, a springboard or a hook to talk about the subject matter of that book. I do believe that uh, leaders are what? readers. Now, just because you're a reader doesn't mean you're a leader, but if you are a leader, you better be a reader. And if you want to grow in any area of your life today, man, you, you need to be reading. I mean, come on. I mean, like if, if there's so much information out there, whether whatever it is in your sphere of life or something you need to get more information about, something you need to grow in, whether it's finances or, or fitness or relationships, there are books out there uh, that you can read that can help you uh, grow. Now, before you freak out thinking that you know, Pastor Chris and Coastal have gone heretical, and we're, we're throwing out the Bible, and uh, we're going to preach for, from some other books and encourage you to read other than the Bible. Uh, throw away your email, take your medication, simmer down tiger, okay? Um, that's not what this is about. If anything, what I hope you'll discover in this series is that you're going to find yourself 
compelled to go to God's word, to go to scripture as we point people to the truth of his word and a deeper relationship with him. So let's get started. Today's uh, book is this book, uh, probably the thickest of the books, so I probably should have waited to do this one at the end because that in itself has scared some of you off that's kind of thick. But half of this is actually a workbook. But uh, anyway, it's called Search for Significance uh, by Robert McGee. Uh, two million books of uh, th these, this book is in print. Uh, this book has made a huge impact uh, on my life personally and uh, in, in our ministry here at Coastal. And I've probably given away more copies of this book uh, than, than any other book. Uh, you know, nine times out of ten, if people uh, meet with me for counseling, I typically end up recommending this book. Now, the premise of the book, it, it, it's simple, and yet it's very life-changing. It, it really is the foundation for something called today uh, biblical cognitive therapy. You might want to write those three words down. Biblical cognitive therapy. Big, biblical cognitive therapy says that if you want to change your behavior, if you, if you need to change the way you behave, to change the way you act, the, the starting place is changing your mind, changing the way you think, what you believe. Because how you think affects how you feel, and how you feel affects how you behave. That's biblical cognitive therapy. Now the problem, though, with that whole little you know, uh, equation is the starting place. And that most people today have believed a lie. A lie about themselves, a lie about, about others. But let me explain. We say this a lot here at Coastal. People are searching today. You know, you, you could, you know, you could change that to words and say a bunch of different things. You know, people are trying to figure out who they are. You know, they're looking for meaning. You could change the word uh, significance there for with purpose or, you know, contentment or joy or self-worth. Whatever you, whatever you want to say, I really do believe that people are trying to find something to fill that hole in their soul. Trying to find anything, something. In fact, I believe that that desire to search for something bigger than yourself actually comes from God. However, in your search for significance, in your search for, for meaning to fill that hole in your heart, the enemy comes alongside of you. And we have today a very real enemy, Satan, the devil, and he wants to keep you from two things. He wants to keep you, first of all, from ever finding God in the first place. Or... He wants to rob you of who you really are in Jesus, okay? One of the theme verses of our church here at Coastal is this next verse, John 10, 10. The Bible says the thief, that's Satan, comes only to what? What's the next word? Only to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus says, but I have come that you might have what? Life. And have it to the full. So Jesus is saying that you have an enemy. And he wants to steal from you. Now, what does he want to steal from you? Again, two things. He wants to steal from you. Keep from you. Uh, he, he wants to, to keep you from ever finding God in the first place. And this morning, for the purpose of this message, I'm going to call that your birthright. Okay? And then... He wants to rob you of who you really are in Jesus. 
And we're going to call that your blessing. Satan wants to steal your birthright and your blessing. Now, remember the story in the Bible, in the Old Testament, of Jacob and Esau. If you've been reading through the Bible with Coastal, that was a story that we read a long time ago, back in the very beginning, uh, in Genesis. Now, Jacob and Esau were twin boys born to whom? Anybody know who their parents are? You remember? Isaac and who's the mom? Rebecca. Very good. In their old age. Okay? The boys come along kind of later in life. Now, the Bible basically says that these twin boys started fighting in the womb. Ever have kids like that? Okay, well, so these are kids, I mean, they're, you know, they continued to struggle uh, all throughout life, struggle with each other. Now, Esau, the Bible says, was hairy. That's kind of an interesting thing to say about somebody, isn't it? Esau, you read the scriptures, that's what it says. Esau was hairy, and he liked to hunt outdoors. By the way, you might not know this about your worship pastor, Michael is hairy. This dude, I mean, like, take off his shirt, he's like Chewbacca. I mean, it is, you know, I just pray for joy regularly that uh, they weren't, they've only been, they've been married like a year. They've been through three vacuum cleaners. They have, and it's just, it's just his hair. It really is. It's nothing more. That's got nothing to do with my message, but I felt led by the Holy Spirit today. That last song really impressed upon me to share that about Michael. So anyway, um, but, uh, but. Esau, um, he was Isaac's favorite, okay? They kind of played favorites, and Jacob, on the other hand, liked to stay at home. Uh, Jacob was kind of a mama's boy, and he was uh, Rebecca's favorite. Now, Esau, being the firstborn of the twins, even though they were twins, there's still a firstborn, and Esau was that firstborn, and he was entitled to the family's birthright. Now, that was a huge, huge deal in the Old Testament. A birthright was a special honor given to the firstborn son. And, uh, I mean, it, it had everything to do, especially in those days, as families kind of related in clans, and that's how they, you know, kind of stayed alive, protection, provision. That's how they kept, you know, uh, moving forward. It included, among, among many things, a, a double portion of the family inheritance, along with the honor of, being, uh, of becoming the family leader. Okay, like the patriarch. Now, the oldest son, if he wanted to, could sell his birthright, or he could give it away if he, if he chose to do so. But in doing so, he would lose all of his rights and all of his privileges. Now, very rarely did that ever happen. I mean, it's really un under special circumstances, typically having something to do with your health or just being able to care for and provide for maybe that firstborn son who wasn't able to do so. So very rarely ever happened. So listen to the story from Genesis chapter 25. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open fields, while Jacob was the kind of person who liked to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau in particular because of the wild game he brought home, but Rebekah favored Jacob. By the way, this is important. Um, Jacob's name literally means the one who deceives, the deceiver. It, you know, what would you love that was your name, right? That's just, that's just terrible. Anyway, um, one day when Jacob was cooking some stew. Now, as you read this story, the whole thing begins to un unfold. And as you read later on what happened, 
you kind of begin to wonder, and, and again, especially if this is Jacob's name, the deceiver, like, did he have this whole thing planned out? I mean, it wasn't, you know, the normal, you know, happenstance that Esau would maybe take some, you know, nabs with him or some snacks out to hunt. But this particular day, you know, maybe Esau took those, uh, I mean, Jacob took the snacks away. And maybe he positioned, you know, his food, you know, exactly where Esau would, would come by and notice. And he'd, he'd see it, he'd smell it, and uh, become you know, very hungry. We really don't know, but you kind of wonder all that as you read this story. So Esau arrived home exhausted and hungry from a hunt. Esau said to Jacob, I am starved. Give me some of that red stew that you've made. So Esau's been out all, all day, you know, all early morning hunting. You know, he's exhausted. Uh, he is starving, he says. He is, in other words, he is searching. Keep in mind, he has an immediate need that needs to be met. And so Jacob replies, all right, trade me your birthright for it. Look, I am dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? So Jacob insisted, well then, Swear to me right now that it is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling his rights as the firstborn to his younger brother. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate and drank and went on about his business, indifferent to the fact that he had given up his birthright. Now, you really ought to go ahead and you know, read through the rest of the story because at the end of Isaac's life, Jacob and his mom, Rebecca, uh, they hatch an elaborate plan to kind of complete the deception and then officially steal Esau's birthright. You see, although he had given away his birthright, legally speaking, um, he still needed to get his father's blessing to make it binding, to kind of, you know, settle it all you know, according to the law. And so they know they have to still deceive Isaac. So you can read that for yourself. But here's the point I want to make so far. Esau was deceived. He believed a lie, and he traded in his birthright and his blessing basically for what? A bowl of soup. How stupid can you be, right? I mean, that, that sounds crazy when you think about it. I mean, you're thinking, man, what an idiot. Now, in today's economy, okay, I'm serious. Get this. That would be like me, you know, walking up to somebody here at Coastal going, hey, here is a winning lottery ticket. This is for you. You just won, you know, whatever, I don't know, whatever it is right now. It's, you know, what does it start at? 40 million, 50 million, whatever. This is worth $100 million, and later that day, you're hungry, and you trade it in for a Happy Meal to satisfy your hunger. I mean, stupid, right? I mean, not even an easy exchange. People would think you'd lost your mind. Well, that's exactly what happened. And my point is, we do that all the time today. And the question you need to ask yourself is this. What is my bowl of soup? What's your bowl of soup? You know, in your hunger, in our hunger, in our search for significance, 
in our search for meaning, in our search for joy, for contentment, whatever you want to call it, Satan comes and he whispers in your ear. And he says things like this. God doesn't love you. You could never be good enough. You can't please God. You can't please anybody else for that matter. Who in the world do you think you are? You deserve punishment. You are who you are, and you're never going to change. You're hopeless. Now, maybe this relationship will fill that void. Sex will make you feel better about yourself. Money, food, power will make you feel better. Work yourself to death. Take another drink, and another, and another. Sleep with somebody else. Do another love. It'll fill that void. And do you know exactly what we've done? We have traded in our birthright and our blessing for a bowl of soup. Let me tell you something. In Christ, as a follower of Jesus, you and I, you have been adopted into the forever family of God with all the rights and all the privileges of a child of the king, and you have traded it all in for something as temporary and as worthless as a bowl of soup. I mean, we have been saved. We have been sanctified. We have been set apart. And yet so many people today, so many believers, end up walking around in defeat like you are a second-class citizen of this world. Listen, this world is not your home. You and I are citizens of a faraway place. We are a child of the king. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. The consequences of us not really understanding who we are in Jesus are far too many to name. And I really believe that it affects almost every area of our lives. In fact, that's why I end up giving this book away so many times to so many people in counseling. Because name a problem. Name a problem and most likely at its root is believing a lie about yourself. Your, your identity has been stolen. How many of you have ever had experienced identity theft in, in any way, shape, or form? I mean, raise your hand at the very basic level of someone stolen your credit card. I mean, oh my goodness, that's so common today, isn't it? And yet this is just as common. That's why I give this book away so often. Listen, let, let's play this through. Maybe you're a student and, and you're struggling with loneliness and low self-esteem and, and so much so that you've even, you know, even privately at this point, but you begin to cut yourself hoping that somebody will notice, screaming out for acceptance and love. Don't you see what's happened? You've believed a lie about yourself. Man, Satan, the father of lies, has deceived you. Because the God of all creation, the God of the universe, loves you. You. 
In fact, the Bible says that you were created in the image of God. You are a child of the King. If you're a single adult here and you basically right now are just living for the weekend and you have found yourself going from relationship to relationship, desperately looking for love, so much so that you've even begun to substitute sex for love just so that you might experience a few fleeting moments of of those feelings of love and satisfaction. You know what you are? You're the, you're the victim of identity theft. You've believed a lie about who you are and whose you are and all the gifts and the rights and the privileges that come along with it. Alcoholism, drug addiction, same stuff. Same thing. You've believed the lie and you've traded it in. You've traded in your birthright and your blessing for a bowl of soup. Desperately just trying to fill that God-sized hole in your soul with something only temporary. Something that's not going to last. Now, what is the devil's greatest weapon that he has in his arsenal? How does he do this? Lies. Lies. John 8.44, Jesus said, When the devil lies... He is speaking his own native language, for he is a what? He's a liar. And he is also the what? He's the father of lies. Now, in this book, The Search for Significance, Robert McGee takes a look at uh, several of the different common lies that our spiritual enemy has used to rob you of your identity in Christ, of who you are in Jesus. Here's how it works. Satan comes along, and he tells you a lie about yourself, and you believe it. And because you believe it, it changes, it changes the way you feel. Again, it start, starts here in your mind. You believe a lie. It changes the way you feel about yourself and the way you feel about others. And eventually that has an impact on the way you behave or the way you act on it, or act out on it. Now, Jesus has an answer for that. John 8, 32, he said, then you will know the what? Jesus said, then you will know the truth. And what will the truth do? The truth will set you free. So God's truth is the answer. God's truth sets us free. Again, it begins here with the truth of God, because if you know the truth, then it changes the way you think, which then changes the way you feel, and in turn changes the way you behave. Biblical cognitive therapy. And so what is God's truth? It's his word. It's the Bible. That's why, man, that's why it's so important to get the truth of God's word into your mind on a regular basis. Because you and I are bombarded. I mean a thousand times a day. A thousand different ways. With the lies of the evil one. Who is trying to steal your identity. Trying to rob you of your birthright. Trying to rob you of the blessing of God. All for a bowl of soup. Romans 12.2. Listen to this. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. In other words, what's he saying? Don't believe a lie. But let God transform you. 
change you into a new person by changing the way you what? Think. You remember the movie, um, uh, talking about movies, uh, the movie with Matt Damon where it starts off and he's floating face down in, in the sea and some fishermen come and they pull him out of the water and they get him on the boat and they treat him and help him. They uh, patch up his mysterious gunshot wound and they, they take care of him and they drop him off at this dock in the city. And, but he doesn't remember anything. doesn't remember who he is, doesn't know who anybody is. And for the rest of the movie, like the three movies that follow, you know, he's trying to put all the clues together and figure out who he is and what he's done. What's the name of the movie? The what? The Born Identity. Great flick. A love story. At least that's what I told my wife so she would watch it with me. Um, although the love interest gets killed. But anyway, but still, it's a great movie. I know that was a spoiler alert. Sorry. Um, but you know what's interesting? When I read through the Bible, you know what I think it's cool about it? It's in the Bible that we find our born again identity. We, re we really discover who we are. We, we discover whose we are, what, what, God's, what, what the word of God says about us. Look what it says about, about us in John 1.12. On the back of your outline, flip, flip this over. It says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become what? The children of God. Now, look at this little math equation here. Very simple. It says, believe plus accept equals become. You and I can become a child of God. That can become your identity. And the Bible says that all you need to do is believe and accept. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Believe that he's the way, the truth, and the life. Believe that he was born, that he lived the perfect life, that he, he gave his life for you, that he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, and he's coming back again. Accept that gift into your life. You know, say, Jesus, I accept your gift. I accept your unfailing love. I accept the fact that you came to wash away my sin, to forgive all my sin, all my screw-ups, all my moral failures. I want that applied to my life. And I want you to lead my life. Believe plus accept equals you and I become a child of God. Guys, you don't get any more accepted than that, any more secure than that, any more significant than that. In fact, look what it says in 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is who we are. Here's some scriptures. Here's some foundational things that God's Word says about you, that God says about who you are and whose you are. This is your identity. This is the truth. This is how you combat the lies of Satan. First of all, in Christ, I am completely accepted. Look what the Bible says about me. I am God's child. I am Christ's friend. I've been made right in God's sight. I've been justified. You know what that means? That means not only have I been forgiven in Christ, but God has transferred all of the righteousness and the goodness of Jesus from his account onto my account. You are completely pleasing to God. Again, not because of who you are, what you've done, but because of Jesus and your faith in him. Now, but here's the lie of Satan. 
Who do you think you are? No. You have to earn God's love. You need to perform and perform and perform. And you need to meet certain standards to feel good about yourself. And that is a lie straight from hell. And some of you have believed that. By the way, that's called religion. And do you know what kind of thoughts and actions those lies produce? This is why some of you are struggling. It produces fear. The fear of failure, worry, perfectionism, anxiety. You become angry with people who interfere with you and your attempts to control. You become addicted to the approval of others because you don't know how accepted you already are in Christ. You develop this obsessive need to control and live by a formula. And many people attempt to ease their pain and their fear of failure by by substance abuse, drugs, and alcohol. And do you know what you've done? You have traded in your birthright and your blessing for a pitiful bowl of soup. So what's the truth? Look back at, the, at your outline. In Christ, man, I have been bought with a price. I belong to God. I am a member of the body of Christ, the church. I have been adopted as God's forever child. He chose me. I have direct access to him through the Holy Spirit. I have been redeemed and forgiven of all of my sin, and I am complete in Jesus. I don't have a self-esteem problem. And I'm not arrogant or prideful either. It's just that I know who I am in Jesus. In Christ, I'm not only completely accepted, I am totally secure. Look what the Bible says about me, what God says. He says, I am free forever from condemnation. I am assured that God works all things in my life. He works them all out together for good. I cannot be separated from the love of God. I have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. I am confident that God will finish the good work that he started in me. I am a citizen of heaven. I am hidden with Christ. I have not been given a spirit of, of fear, a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline. I can find mercy and grace in my, in my time of need. I am born of God, and the evil one cannot touch me. I am secure. I don't worry about the future, about death, not because of me, but because I'm secure in Christ. In Christ, I'm not only accepted, I, I'm not only secure, but in Jesus, man, I am deeply, deeply significant. I have meaning, I have worth, I have value because God says this about me. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. I am a branch of the true vine, Jesus. I've been chosen in this life to bear fruit. I'm an empowered witness of Jesus. I am the temple of God. He lives in me. I am a minister of reconciliation of God. I am God's co-worker. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. I am his workmanship created for good works. I may approach God with freedom and confidence and I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That is who you are in Jesus. Do not trade in the lies of this world. You know, the, 
don't trade your, your significance and your value for a bowl of soup. You are completely accepted. You are totally secure. You are deeply significant. Now live like it. You know, one of my favorite quotes is this quote from Neil Anderson, Dr. Neil Anderson. He said this. He said, the more you reaffirm who you are in Jesus, the more your behavior will begin to reflect your true identity, your true nature. You know, the Bible doesn't just say that God has an unfailing love for you. Our God put his money where his mouth is. He put his love into action. Jesus hung from a cross, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. I have come to take away the sin of the world. And today, you can believe that and accept that, and you can become a child of the King. Your search for significance will be over. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Father, God, today I thank you for what the truth of your word says about those who put their faith in Christ. And Father, I believe there are people here today at this church because you are drawing people to yourself here who come, who are searching, who are looking. And if the truth be told, if they were honest, time and time again, they keep trading in all that they really are and can be in Christ for a pitiful bowl of soup whether it's substance abuse or relationships or, or fear or worry, whatever it is, it's just they, they keep looking in all the wrong places. Listen, today, today you can believe that Jesus really is who he says he is, what the Bible says about him, what God's word says, that he is God's son, that he came to this earth and that he lived a perfect life so that he could be the substitute for your sin and for mine. It was my sin, your sin, that put Jesus on that cross. He had to take a beating so that you could stop beating yourself up. You simply need to accept what he did for you. They put him in a tomb. Three days later, he rose from the dead. It was witnessed literally by hundreds of people. It was recorded in human history. He rose from the dead, and he is alive, and he turned the world upside down because of it. You no longer have to strive or work or perform. You need to put your faith in Christ and what he did for you. And turn your back, turn away from your former way of living. And just say from this day forward, Jesus, I want to follow you. You can have all of that, all of the rights and the privileges of a forever adopted child into God's family today by placing your faith in Christ. Do that right now. Do it today. What are you waiting on? And Father, I pray for our church. I ask that our church might be a church that is searching and looking and loving and giving and sharing and reaching out to this world around us, that we are on a mission. We don't just go to church. We are the church, and we are searching for people, anyone and everyone, who might listen to the story of God's wonderful grace and kindness. And you might share the good news of the gospel and how Jesus really changes people. Father, thank you. We love you. We pray all these things today in the name of Jesus.
Hey guys, this morning we want to continue in our worship today by taking the Lord's Supper. Uh, the Lord's Supper is this beautiful